Hi, my name is Stephen Luna. I'm the lead pastor of MWC Church. We're so glad you chose to join us for this podcast. My prayer is that it would be a blessing in helping you grow closer to Jesus and help you grow in your faith. Enjoy this week's sermon. I'm excited. Today we're talking about the Holy Spirit. Uh, we are jumping into a new series on the spiritual gifts, on the spiritual gifts. Um, how, many of you, how many of you enjoy gifts? Is, is there anybody, like, let's just be honest, you don't have to pretend to be super holy right now. Uh, how many of you, like, enjoy receiving gifts more than you like giving gifts? Just be, let's be honest. Just be honest. Okay. Three of us. Three of us are going to heaven. The rest of us are liars. Uh, I'm just kidding. No, no. You're like, pastor, I know it's better to, to give than it is to receive, right? Like, here's already to throw scripture at me. Uh, today, we're talking about the spiritual gifts, and, and I'm super excited about this. And, and, and uh, I believe that this morning, the Spirit does have gifts for us all, but we are going to paint a primer on the topic of the spiritual gifts. Do you remember? Everybody say, paint a primer. Paint a primer. You remember that time when you first moved into your house or the time that you, you first moved into your apartment or, or maybe, maybe it was a new office space and you were just, just in love with, with the newness of where you were, the, the new house. I remember when my wife and I, about four years ago, we, we purchased our first house. We, we just loved it. I mean, everything was perfect. There was a few things that, that, that weren't our favorite, but we're like, oh, those are just minor details and we can work those out, right? Like, like our house is covered in popcorn ceilings. Like I think the owners before us, uh, they, they just like loved popcorn, so they were just like, let's put it everywhere. And they put it in the bathroom, every closet. Like, uh, they put it on the walls at some areas. Like, it was just popcorn. Every, I'm just pretending this is how you put popcorn on ceilings and walls and stuff. But they, they put it all over the place. And, and my wife's like, oh, that's, that's a minor detail. I got a husband who can scrape popcorn ceilings. Well, uh, at, at that point, I had no idea what I was doing, but I was, like, lying. I was like, yeah, I can do this, Kate. I, I can scrape these popcorn ceilings. I had no what I was doing, no idea what I was doing. Uh, we had popcorn ceilings. That was the one minor flaw. The second, we only had two things that we didn't enjoy about the house when we first moved in there. Everything was perfect, but these two things, popcorn ceilings. The second one was in the basement. And I had a cool picture to show you, but I can't show you. You just have to allow the imagination palace to, to, to do the work. Uh, but there was a, a, in the basement, there was a, a, a full room that was just blue walls. Blue walls everywhere. And uh, my wife's like, I like the color blue. I just don't like it in that basement bedroom. So we're going to have to get rid of the blue walls there. And... Uh, you know, when I, when I first bought the house, I wasn't the handiest of people. And, you know, through time working on projects, make my wife just kicking me in the basement saying, go work on something. Uh, I've learned to pick up a few things. Like now I can, I can mount uh, light fixtures like nobody's business. I can hang ceiling fans like nobody's business. Like I'm just like, I can do it with my eyes closed and in the dark. Like I'm just, I'm that good at it now. I, I, I can also um, scrape popcorn ceilings. <laughs> I'm really good at scraping popcorn ceilings. I can, I can do a room in like 30 minutes. Um, so, if, you know, hit your boy up if you need help. So, uh, the other thing I can do is I'm, I'm really good at, at mounting things to walls. Um, like I, I could, I, without using command strips, can we just make a commitment to ourselves? We are no longer going to use command strips on the walls. Please, please. Uh, so, so I can, my, my dad said that, that command strips are for sissies. That's what my dad says. Uh, but now after much, much pain and suffering, I'm good at painting. Uh, what do I mean by that? Well, my wife was like, you know what, let's get rid of these Let's get rid of this blue, this blue room. So I'm like, all right, we'll get rid of the blue room. And we went down there, and she's like, she's like I, I found this color. I love it. It's a, I don't know what the technical term is for it, but it's, it's a, a soft yellow. It's a soft yellow. So um, it, blue to soft yellow, I thought, I thought it would, it would uh, be an easy transition, but it's not. Anybody who's good at painting knows that it's hard to go from dark blue. Like, this is deep 
sea ocean blue, right, like uh, to, to a soft yellow. And we get up there and we, we put a coat of, of paint on the wall. And uh, have you ever realized that when, when, when you put a fresh coat of paint, it, before it dries, it looks like it's going to set and it's going to be perfect. So my wife and I are down there, we're painting and, and we put one coat on. We're like, whoa, one coat. This is awesome, right? Like, like it, it's going to be perfect. And it, it's, it's wet. It looks great. And we go upstairs and we come back down like an hour later and we're like, who painted this room blue? Right? Like, like it, it, did, it didn't set. It, it was not like we needed not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, but six coats, six coats of paint. Like, man, if, yeah, so many coats, so many coats of paint. Uh, th- this blue paint was kind of like the Miley Cyrus. Like, it just wouldn't go away. Like, it was always there. And uh, you're just like, no matter how much you tried, how much you wanted, how much you prayed and fasted, it was still coming back. And even to this day, after six coats, there are still areas in the room where you can see, like, oh, they're, they're, they're still blue there. It's just, it's just peeking through saying, hey, what's up? Miss you. <laughs> like, it, it's still there. But, but I realized something now, after walking, navigating through that, that if I would have just, like, ponied up and, and bought primer, and if I would have gone in that room and put maybe one or two coats of primer, it probably only would have taken one or two coats of, of yellow paint, of soft yellow paint. And, and theologically speaking, I believe many of us, if not all of us in this place, when it comes to the topic of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit and, and maybe even Pentecost, I believe that so many of us are walking into this room with blue walls and we're trying to just lather up some soft yellow paint and it's probably not going to stick until we paint a primer. So this morning, I'd, I would love if you would do me the honor of, of just spending this week and perhaps next week on, on just painting a primer on the Holy Spirit. Why? Because in the weeks to come, when we talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, I don't want anybody to be like, well, pastor, this is, this is, this is really difficult and blue paint is shining through still. You get what I'm saying? So, because here's the thing, I know when it comes to the Holy Spirit, uh, we get one of four responses. Some of us are, are, are feeling a little scared. Maybe you are, are from a tradition where they, they, did, they did have the Holy Spirit, um, and, or maybe you came from a tradition where they didn't uh, talk about the Holy Spirit, not have the Holy Spirit, they didn't talk about the Holy Spirit, or they, don't, they didn't have the, 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 the demonstrable uh, acts of the Holy Spirit, and you're just like, you were always told like, hey, don't, don't you dare go to that kind of church, or don't you dare be around those kind of people, or else you get sick, they'll get you, right? Like, so you're just like, you're always afraid and apprehensive when it comes to the topic of the Holy Spirit, and uh, I, I, know, I know that's you, because I've been there, that, that was me growing up, like, I, I was I was raised Roman Catholic, and uh, the moment they found out that I was going to a, a, a Pentecostal youth group, they're like, <gasps> they started doing the sign of the cross and splashed me with holy water, and it was just crazy, right? They threw me to confessional, and I started confessing my sins, and I'm like, I don't know what's going on, right? Uh, so some of us are scared when it comes to the topic of the Holy Spirit, and if you are, we're painting a primer. We're, gonna, we're all going to meet in the middle. We're all going to meet in the same place. Uh, some of us, let's just be honest, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, you're a little bit silly, right? Like, you, you say, like, unless people are, are doing backflips down the aisle, then the Holy Spirit did not move. And, 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 and listen, um, I believe that, that you have defined the Holy Spirit's moving uh, according to tradition and not necessarily the Word of God. And the Word of God needs to be the one that tells us what the Holy Spirit does, who He is, and, and the way He should move. And, and, and all of these traditional things that you've seen, um, those should bend and bow to the authority of the Word of God. So if you're a little bit silly this morning, it's all right. I'm glad you're here. We're, we're going we're gonna to paint a primer. Maybe you, you're, maybe you're not scared, you're not silly, but maybe uh, you're a little bit skeptical. 
Maybe you're just like, you know what, because uh, I was there too. The Holy Spirit, that's not really like God, the creator, sure, but the Holy Spirit, this, this thing that we've seen in the church, tongues and, and, and prophecy and words of wisdom and knowledge, those are just people trying to show off. And these are people that if they weren't in the church, they'd be in a mental institute. And you're just skeptical, right? Like, because I've been there, I've been there. I'm like, they're just conjuring things up. And if anybody is experiencing some supernatural healing, it's because of, of, of the mind. They, they, they've got their mind and their, and their mind is, is working this through. And they've been able to, to mind over matter themselves into a, a, a place of healing. And, and I've been there, but I'm here to tell you that it's not the mind. It's not might. It's not, it's not by power. It's by the Holy Spirit. So whether you're scared, you're silly, you're skeptical, or if you're certain this morning, I'm here to tell you we're painting a primer on the Holy Spirit, and God has good gifts for you. God has great things in store for us, and we're not going to get weird because the Holy Spirit isn't weird. He's supernatural. He's above our natural. He supersedes our natural, but he's not weird. And we are going to allow everything we do be done in love, in order, and in submission to the word of God. Amen? Amen. All right. So I believe that the foundation for the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the, 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 the text that I want to kind of use as our launch pad is found in John 14, verses 12 through 13. Now, Jesus, in John 13 through 17, it is a portion in the Gospel of John known as the Upper Room Discourse, where Jesus is already getting ready for death. He's already getting ready for the cross. He knows what's coming. He knows what's, what he's about to do. And he's in the upper room and he's teaching his disciples. He's comforting them. They, they're having the last supper and, and they're having this entire beautiful exchange and Jesus is teaching a little bit. So in John chapter 14, we see him start this passage in verse 12. He says, very truly, everybody say very truly, now, this was a, a, a mechanism used by rabbis and teachers and orators of this time period. When they wanted to, to get the attention of the room, they would say, verily, verily, or truly, truly, or very truly, I tell you. And it, it, was, it was, should have been a, a note to the listener or to the reader to, oh, I better listen in. I better tune in. It's like if someone were to get up and say, fire, and everybody's like, oh, okay, and they run out. Like, like this was one of those moments where Jesus was trying to grab hold of the attention of his disciples. So he starts off and says, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. That word there, whoever or whomever, it specifically specifies that it's not a select few. Notice the passage doesn't say that when the pastor or, or, or when the apostles or, uh, no, no, no. He says, whoever believes in me. So what is the requisite to do the works that Christ accomplished what is the requirement, what, what is the foundational requirement to do, uh, to, to be a candidate, to, to, to do the things that Christ has done and do the even greater things? To be a believer. To be a believer. He says this, whoever believes in me, look what he says, will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these. Like, even greater than Jesus are you, what? Like, this is a guy who, like, literally let Lazarus die. Like, he knew Lazarus was dying, and he, he, he literally, like, waited for the very last minute to show up late just so that he can raise him from the dead. Greater works than that? You got to be kidding me. 
And why? And Jesus continues on. He says, because I am going to the Father. Now, I don't know about you, uh, but you, you know those Thomas Kincaid paintings where, like, let's say someone's a fireman and then Jesus is right behind them and helping them. Like, to, to me, uh, I feel like life could have been better if I had Jesus helping me in every move. Like, if I'm, like, dancing, he's, like, right behind me, just, like, helping to dance. Or, like, like if, if I'm preaching, he's right behind me, like, holding the Bible. Like, you ever see those paintings? I'm not the only one, right? Like, where, 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 like Jesus is a school te- or where, where the, a person's a school teacher, and Jesus is right behind them, and he's holding their hands, smiling at the camera, right? Like, like that would have made sense. Like, that would have helped me do greater things if I had Jesus next to me. But Jesus is saying the exact opposite. He's saying, unless I go, it's better if I go. He says, you will do greater things than these because I am going to the Father. You're like, oh, Jesus, that that makes no sense. Well, it does if you understand the context. In verse 26, he continues on and says this, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. Jesus, the Jesus man, when he walked this earth, he was able to only work with one-on-one. But when he went up to heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is able to take residence in us all. The Holy Spirit is absolutely important to our daily life as a believer. We need him. We need him. So who is he? I have six questions. Ready? I have six questions that I believe we need to answer in order to paint an accurate uh, primer, put an accurate coat of primer on our walls when it comes to the theology of the Holy Spirit or, or, or pneumatology, if you will. The first question is this. Who is the Holy Spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit? The second question is, are the spiritual gifts still for today? Are the spiritual gifts still for today? My hope is to answer those two questions this morning and uh, answer the next questions I'm about to tell you next week. The next week's questions are going to be, what are the gifts and how are they organized in the Bible? Who are the gifts given to? Why are the gifts given? And how should the gifts be used? Six questions. I wanted to get seven because seven's a holy number, but I can only come up with six. Uh, But I believe if we answer these questions, we would have successfully put a fresh coat of paint on the walls of our hearts to receive the coat of, of teaching when it comes to the spiritual gifts. So the first one is this. Who is the Holy Spirit? Everybody say who. Say Dr. Who. Just kidding. That's a, you guys are nerds. <laughs> who is the Holy? <laughs> I don't know why I said that. Who is the Holy Spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit? Uh, the answer is kind of in the question. Who spe- uh, spe- uh, dignifies personhood? Right. I didn't say what is the Holy Spirit. I said who is the Holy Spirit. That's kind of the the first giveaway, and it's this. The Holy Spirit is not an energy. It's not a force. It's it's not a a, a thing. You ever watch Star Wars? You remember that really cool guy from uh, that that one Star Wars movie? I forget which one. It's the one where like no Star Wars characters were in it, but it's all these other people. They all died at the end. The really cool guy with the staff. um, He was like a Shaolin monk, and he walked with the staff, and he would say, I'm one with the force, and the force is in me. I'm one with, like that guy was awesome. Ended up dying. My favorite character in all of Star Wars ended up dying. Um, But the Holy Spirit is not the force. The Holy Spirit is not an energy. It's not an it. The Holy Spirit, he is God. And he is a person. He has the attributes of personhood. He performs the actions of person and has personal relationships. He has insight, 1 Corinthians 2. He knows things which are 
require an intellect. He has a will, 1 Corinthians 12. He convicts of sin, John 16. He performs miracles, Acts chapter 8. He guides, John chapter 16. He intercedes between persons. He is obeyed. He can be lied to. He can be resisted. He can be grieved. He can be blasphemed. He can even be insulted. He relates to the the apostles and disciples and to each member of the Trinity. He is God. The Holy Spirit, the first thing we need to understand is if we're gonna address him correctly, he is not an it. He is a person. He's a third person of the Trinity. He is God. The second thing, the Holy Spirit is called, he's got a name, he's got a nickname. So you know you're a person if you got a nickname. Jesus gave him a nickname. He called him counselor. He called him comforter. He called him advocate. Where do we see this in scripture? Well, we see this in John chapter 14, verses 16 to 18. And Jesus says this, and I will ask the Father, because Jesus is submitted to the Father. They're all co-equals, but they have this, this perfect economy of submission. The Son submits to the Father, and the Son sends the Holy Spirit. It's like they're all equal, they're all one, uh, but, but yet they still have this beautifully tuned relationship where the Son submits to the Father, and, and the Holy Spirit is sent from the Son. Like, it's beautiful. But he says this, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another, another advocate another advocate, to help you and be with you forever, forever. What, what is advocate? Well, for us, we, we don't have a great translation for the Greek word parakletos. Parakletos was a legal term, and in, in ancient Greece, it was uh, what was what maybe the best, the best definition we could give it or assign would have been a defense attorney. Literally, a person who was being held in court and would have to make a defense for themselves would hire or ask for a paracleto to come alongside them to help them make a defense. And and Jesus is literally saying to to all believers that, that when you face attacks, the greatest defense isn't you or your intellect or what's in your pocketbook. Your greatest defense is going to be the Holy Spirit, the advocate, the defender, the comforter. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit will be with us forever to help us. Jesus continues on. He says, he is the spirit of truth. In him there is no falsehood. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him. Why? Jesus says, for he lives with you and will be in you. Can I just, can I just tell you something? Can I blow your Sunday school uh, childhood uh, minds? Can I, can I tell you this? Remember when you were in Sunday school? I remember this. When I, was, when I first got saved, they, we used to sing that uh, Jesus is in our heart, right? Jesus is on the throne. He sits at the right hand of the Father. But do you know who sits in your heart, who resides in your body, who lives in you and within you? The Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not trying to dichotomize the character and persons of God, but I'm trying to at least help us understand that the Holy Spirit is in us. He's, he's among us. He, he convicts us of sin. He comforts us. In fact, even when we see in, in, in Scripture, we know that Satan is given a name, that Jesus calls him the adversary, the accuser, the condemner. The Holy Spirit stands at contrast to Satan. Satan is the accuser. The Holy Spirit is the advocate. Satan is the condemner of the brethren. You know when you sin and you instantly feel like you need to run away from God, that, that he no longer wants you, that's the enemy whispering lies in your mind telling you that, that you are condemned. God wants nothing to do with you. Well, that's when your defender, the comforter, comes in and he says, nope, you are not condemned. Let me comfort you that, that I will never condemn you. I will never forsake you. I, let's go back to the Father. Let, let, let's make our way back to Jesus, our 
Holy Spirit is our comforter. So friend, this morning, if you're feeling beaten down by the world, I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit desires to take residence in your life and encourage you and comfort you and point you to the words of Jesus. That is our Holy Spirit. That is our God. And we also know, we also know that the Holy Spirit is who Jesus baptizes us with. Let me start by saying this. When you first accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are making, you're clearing the plot of your heart. You're, You're making a way for the Holy Spirit to come in and take residence. It's something that happens instantaneously. The moment you accept Christ as Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit comes and takes up residence in your heart. But Jesus, when teaching on the Holy Spirit, always talked about a second encounter. You remember in the Gospel of John, chapter 4, when Jesus is teaching at the fest, the Feast of Lights, and he gets up on the climax of the day, and he says, all of you who are thirsty, drink from me, and I will cause from you waters of living water to flow out. We see John add meaning to that text literally right afterwards, and he says, that was talking about the Holy Spirit overflowing in the life of the believer. I believe this morning, it's by personal conviction and study and theology that that the Holy Spirit, there is a second baptism, the baptism with or in the Holy Spirit. So I literally wrote, after we are saved, we receive the Holy Spirit. How many of you are thankful this morning that the moment you get saved, the Holy Spirit comes in and takes residence in your heart? Do you remember that feeling? Do you remember the weight that just fell off? And it was just like peace just came in and takes, just took space. You, you couldn't help but smiling. Maybe you got saved at an altar and then you went to lunch afterwards and the people at Wendy's thought you were weird because you were just smiling nonstop. But the Holy Spirit just came in and oh, everything fell off. Every weight, every stress, every anxiety. And you know you're, you're fully convinced it wasn't just an, an emotional experience because that joy is everlasting. I'm not saying things don't creep up and invade because the enemy's a liar, but that joy is an everlasting joy. So I'm thankful the moment we get saved, the Holy Spirit fills us. He takes residence in our bodies. But scripturally, Jesus' desire for us is to also baptize us, fully immerse. That's what the word baptism, baptizo, is to immerse with us with the Holy Spirit and fire. It is a gift Everybody say gift. So salvation, it is a gift. We accept it, and we are filled with the Spirit. The Spirit comes in and lives in us. He takes residence in us. But there is a second encounter, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and it is immersion. It is just an overflowing with the Holy Spirit. It is a gift that must be desired and accepted in order to be received. How do we know this? Well, look what John says about Jesus. In, John, in Luke chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, the people were expelled waiting expectantly. So what's going on right here? So, so John is out in the wilderness. He's baptizing people. There is nothing in the wilderness of Judea. There is literally, like, like you ever been, have you, have you been in the parking lots of like Kmart's these days and how there's nobody there? Um, this is exactly what was in the Judean wilderness. Par, well, Kmart parking lots, like nothing. There was nothing going on in the Judean wilderness. And yet, John the Baptist was out there and droves of people were coming because they were turning, they were repenting from their sins. Literally, it says that John the Baptist was the forerunner, the one who would come before the Christ and declare in the wilderness, make straight the ways of the king. 
make a straight path before him. And that's what John the Baptist was doing. So he's out there, he's baptizing what some commentators would suggest, 15,000 people minimum, like just like baptizing people. And everyone's out there, revival's breaking out, they're excited, they're passionate, there is so much going on. And people begin to ask themselves, hey, maybe John is the Christ. Maybe he's the Messiah. And look what he says to that. He says, the people were waiting expectantly, were all wondering in their hearts if John could be the Christ. And John answered all of them, listen, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He's like, I literally can't even look at Jesus's Yeezys. Like this guy, this guy's way on a different level than I am. I'm not even able to untie his sandals. He, Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and in fire. Every gospel account, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, records the exact same encounter. There are only three things in all of the gospels that exactly mirror alike. The resurrection, the crucifixion, and this proclamation that Jesus will baptize us with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Matthew 4, Mark 4, Luke 4, like it's, it's all in there. We see that the same thing is said over and over, that Jesus will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire fire. In fact, even the resurrected Jesus is saying this about himself. He's saying the exact same thing about himself. How do we know this? In Acts chapter 1, verses 5 through 8, as Jesus, so he'd already been crucified, he'd already been resurrected, and now he's in the process of ascending into heaven. Like he's, I don't know, I don't know why I just went up on my heels, but he's, he's ascending into heaven, and as he's going, he says this, for John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Were these believers? Were they believers? The answer is yes. Did they believe in Christ? As they were watching the ascended, the risen Savior, the one who was crucified for the sins of the world, that they accepted over their hearts, were they Christians? Absolutely. And Jesus is ascending into heaven, and yet he says, there is still more. There is still more. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit and then they begin to ask him. They say, so Jesus, at this time, are you going to restore the kingdom? Are you going to put Israel on the map? Like, are you going to make us rule the earth again and, and make, us, make us the best? And he's like, listen, it's not, ah, it's not, you're asking the wrong questions. He says, don't leave Jerusalem. Don't leave Jerusalem. Everybody say, don't leave. He says, don't leave Jerusalem. Because at this point, Jesus had already told them, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey my command. So they knew that they had a job. There was a job description attached to Christian, and it was to go and make disciples, to go and reach people. And, and, and if, if they would have ever left that place, if they ever, ever would have thought, okay, now it's time to leave. Jesus is ascending. It's time to get to work. He says, but stay and wait in Jerusalem. Don't even start your work until you receive power from on high. He specifically says that in verse 8. He says, but you will receive power. Everybody say power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This word power that we just throw around and like it's no big thing, it's a word that would have been in Greek, it meant dynamos. It's the word that we get dynamite from, explosive power. Uh, if you ever study the accounts, the biographical accounts of, of when we, we won the West and we were making our way from, from the East Coast to the West Coast and, and we were trying to blaze a 
trail through the mountains, and especially the railroads, when the railroads were coming through, and they were trying to go through the mountains, because they could either allow people to die to go over the mountains, or they can go through the mountains. The only weapon, the only source, the only tool they had to make a way where there could be no way was dynamite. And I'm here to tell you this morning that the Holy Spirit is that dynamite in our lives. When we are facing oppression, when we are facing mountains, we can't go over. The only way we can get is to go through them, and that is the power of the Holy Spirit. You are on mission, believer. God has you on mission, and the only way you can accomplish the things God has set out for you to accomplish is through the power of the Holy Spirit. You are smart, you are intellectual, you are charismatic, but you have no power that is greater than the power of the Holy Spirit. We need this. He wants to baptize us. He wants to fill us overflowing. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. And this is the part where every Pentecostal gets excited. When the day of Pentecost came, they were terrified. Okay, can I just say they were terrified? In John's account, John 21, it says that after Jesus ascended into heaven, they looked up and they said, well, dang. (laughs) Now what? So they went back and they're like, I guess we'll obey Jesus. They went back to the... They went back to the upper room where they had had their, their Passover meal. And they were just, it says that they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. They thought they were going to be next. So they closed the doors. They, they locked the windows and they were just hiding in there. And they were afraid. They were afraid of what was happening. But when the day of Pentecost came, approximately 50 days after the ascension, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them, all of them, everybody say all. There was over 120 people in that room. It wasn't just the 12 disciples or the 11 apostles. Because Judas, you know, Judas. He did Judas things. So it wasn't just the 11 apostles. It was male and female. It was the, the, the brothers. It was the sisters of, of, of Christ. It was the mother Mary. It, 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 was, it was people who, who have been following Jesus' ministry that we don't even know of. But there was 120 people in the upper room, and they all received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's not just a power for the apostles to do apostle things. It is for every believer to do things that Christ has set out before us. You, friend, are a perfect candidate to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you need power, you go to the source and say, give me your power, Lord. And he is faithful because that is his desire. He wants to give you good gifts. He wants you to be the person he's called you to be. He doesn't give you a job description and say, okay, slaps you on the tushy and say, make your way there. He says, I'm going to give you everything you need to get there. I'm going to give you every ounce of power and and, and strength and, and wisdom and insight that you need. I need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it says that what seemed like tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Everybody had a portion, not one more than another. A a baptism is a baptism. It's not like they were able to compare tongues of fire and say, mine's bigger than yours. No, 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 no. All of them, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. A couple things I want to note from this. The first one is this, the Holy Spirit enabled. Everybody say enabled. He enabled them. He didn't control them. There is a vast difference between enablement and control. 
The Holy Spirit didn't say, okay, now be quiet. I'm just going to take over your brain and, and do, no, 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 no. If you have been actively seeking the baptism of the Holy Spirit, or if you did at one point and you were just waiting for some, some crazy interaction where the Holy Spirit came in, you levitated and you started speaking in tongues, like, like that ain't going to happen. He doesn't take control. He enables. The, another translation would say, as the Spirit gave utterance, meaning he, he tells you and you walk in faith. It's a, it's a beautiful tango of, 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 of hearing and acting, faith, hand in hand. Amen. Notice that nobody said, all right. It wasn't like Peter received first because he was Peter, and then Peter went around the room and said, all right, repeat after me. I bought a Honda. I should have bought a Hyundai. Like, there was no repeat after me. They, they weren't saying, okay, this is the perfect monologue for, for tongues, and they were going around person to person. You got it. Praise the Lord. High fives all around. You get that Sunday school stick. No, no, no. It, it was, it, there was none of that. It was, it was an, an, a personal interaction between the Holy Spirit and the individual. They all had to submit to the phenomena and accept it. I, I, if there was anything I could have told myself when I was actively seeking for the first time the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it would have been stop talking yourself out of something the Holy Spirit wants to give you. It's a supernatural thing, so it's going to be a little awkward and weird, but it's real, and stop denying. I, I'm the kind of person where I need to intellectualize everything. Like, I, I read the fine print and then the fine print of the fine print. Like, I, I, I need that. So when it came to the theology of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I, I, it's there. There's sound theology. Like, why tongues? You ever ask yourself that? Why tongues? It's the reversal of what we see in the Tower of Babel. The Tower of Babel, what was going on? They, they wanted to create a name for themselves. So they built a high tower so that they could become like God. And, and, and what does the Lord say? Man, if they continue this, the things, the sin that they allow will be unstoppable. Um, so we need to come in and fix this. So God, by divine intervention, came in and invaded. And what did he do? When they gathered together, when the people were gathering, humanism, literally that's what it was, they were trying to make a name for themselves and be like God. God scattered them and confused their languages. Fast forward to what we see in the upper room. They are gathering under a name, and it's not their name. It's not humanity. It is Jesus. We're gathering in one room for the purpose of God. He told us to come here. We are united under God. And what did God do? He unconfused their languages by the heavenly language of speaking in tongues. That's the theology for, the, for, for, the, for why tongues. Because, like, why isn't it another sign? Why, isn't, like, why, why can't they just do backflips? Like, hey, I got it. Right? Like, it's tongues because it's the reversal of what we see in the Tower of Babel which Babel literally means, what is this? Or what, what's going on? It's the reversal of that. But the word says, now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? We hear them declaring, verse 11b, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. In Scripture, this was the first and last time we ever see someone who is speaking in tongues, speaking in a language that was recognizable. Now, I'm not saying that can't happen, 
but I'm saying that's not normative. I, I, there's people who are like, if I'm speaking in tongues, am I, am I speaking French? Can I just like walk, can I go to like France and just start speaking in tongues and then they'll understand me? No, that, that's not the way it works. Um, that's called xenolalia. Uh, the, whole, the tongues that we see after this point is glossalia, and, and that's literally the, a heavenly language. But the thing that we need to understand is that they heard them declaring the wonders of God in their own language. When you are praying in tongues or when you are speaking out in tongues, you are declaring the wonders of God. You are praying the perfect perfect will of the Father. I don't know about you, but when I'm in my personal prayer time, there are times where I run out of things to say, and I'm just like, darn it, that was 30 seconds. Like, what, what, what now? And then I begin to enter in and, and pray in the Holy Spirit, and I can just sit there for hours. I'm praying the perfect will of God. My spirit is edified. I, I, don't, know what, I don't know what I'm saying in my mind, but I know my spirit is above my mind. And my spirit is just edified. And my, unis, my unity with the Holy Spirit and with God is just perfect and there's nothing else I'd lack. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit, friends, it's a necessary tool. The disciples are praying and the people are hearing this and like, what's going on? In fact, even in that discourse in Acts chapter two, the people are like, are these guys drunk? That's literally, what, that's literally the question that was asked. They, they see this happening because it's, it's an interest, it's a weird phenomenon. Like if you see a bunch of people, tongues of fire, wind blowing, their hair's all like, you know, their hair's wind blown, so they're crazy hair, and they come out and they're speaking in tongues. They're like, these guys are drunk. And Peter gets up and says, they are not drunk. It's only 9 a.m. in the morning. And then someone s- screams out in the crowd, it's five o'clock somewhere. <laughs> no, he says, He says, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel, Joel chapter 2. This is that. What what you are seeing now is what was prophesied, and this is what needs to happen. Like, we know about this. And he begins to quote Joel chapter 2. He says, in the last days, God said, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Uh, When are the last days? Now. The moment Christ ascended into heaven, he inaugurated a new age. It was the last days. We are living in the last days. Jesus can return at any point. Some of you are saying, well, pastor, they've been saying that for, for centuries, for millennia. Well, that's why 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4 would say, in the last days, people are going to say, where is this Savior that you've talked about? He's not slow. Peter said he's not slow as some understand slowness. He is patient. Why hasn't Jesus returned? Why are we still living in the last days? He is patient so that no one should perish. So if he hasn't returned, that means our job is not done. And if our job is not done, why would he ever take away the tools we need to accomplish the job? In the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all people. On all people. In the Old Testament, we see the Holy Spirit do powerful things, but it's a select people. It's the right people. It's the ones who, whom the Lord could, could choose and use. Many of them had to be already living right before God could use them. But here we see a transaction, a reversal. So now he uses all people because he makes all people right through Christ. And they become perfect candidates for the baptism of the Spirit. In the last days, I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. 
There is no sexism in the kingdom of God. He doesn't empower male or, or just the female. It's, it's all people. Sons and daughters will prophesy. He even says there's no ageism in the kingdom. They, your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Even on my, men ser- my maidservants and manservants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. There's no classism. There's no sexism. There's no racism. There's no ageism in the kingdom of God. His desire is that his people all will from every tribe, tongue, and nation would be gathered under the the banner of Jesus and be equipped to do the mission he's called us to do. That's why when I look out at this church and I see every tribe, every tongue, every nation, I praise God that we are a glimpse of heaven because this is what it looks like, that all of us are equipped and used to do the ministry that he's called us to do. Come on, somebody. This is good news. And when the people heard this, he continues preaching and he says, you were the ones who killed Jesus. He, was, he, was, he is the Messiah. He was the Messiah, and you crucified him. And when he said this, it says that, that the believers were, or, or those that were listening were cut to the heart. The Jews were cut to the heart. And they went to Peter and said, Peter, what must we do? And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and asked Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't end there. He says, this promise belongs to you and your children and your children's children and your children's children's children and to all people who are fall off, whom the Lord will call to himself. Who is a candidate for the baptism of the Holy Spirit? We all are. Every believer is a candidate. Well then, Pastor, why in 1 Corinthians 14 does it say that, that do all prophesy? Paul is asking the rhetorical question. Listen, in that portion of scripture, which we're going to talk about next week, he is specifically talking about the gift of, the, of speaking in tongues in the worship service, not the, the empowerment of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Everyone is a candidate for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Every one of us. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is the gift that is promised to all people whom the Lord will call to himself. But why tongues? The Holy Spirit first fell on the Jewish believers. I'm going to say this. Why tongues? Because it is the most common biblical, physical manifestation that we see in Scripture. Every time we see and the Holy Spirit fell on them, we see and they began to speak in other tongues. And in the places where we don't see it explicitly, it is implicitly implied. I'm fully convinced that there is a sound theological um, position for this. And we saw that in Acts chapter 2. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave utterance. In uh, Acts chapter 10, when they were at Cornelius' house, what happened in Acts chapter 10? While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard this message. All the circumcised believers or the Jews who were with Peter that were in this house of the Gentiles, the the Romans uh, or the Caesareans, who had accompanied Peter were astounded that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and exalting God. Then Peter said, can anyone withhold the water to baptize these people? They've received the Holy Spirit just as we have. The Ephesian believers. Now don't tell me that in order to be uh, receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you've got to have your theology perfectly in order. Um, or, or that you need to work your way up to that. Like, I, you know, I've, I've been a Christian maybe in a year or so, I'll, I'll get this gift. No, 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 no. 
In Ephesians chapter 19, Paul now is, now is a follower of Christ. He too received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He is now doing ministry. He's, he's walking along Ephesus while, while Apollos went the route of Corinth. He went the route of Ephesus. And as he's walking the beach side of Ephesus, he sees a bunch of brothers, 12, they're like Christian brothers. They're, they're there on the shore. They're worshiping God. And, and he stops them and he says, uh, did, did you guys receive the, the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they answered, no, we didn't even hear that there was a Holy Spirit. I mean, that's literally what my encounter. When I heard people talking about the Holy Spirit, I'm like, Holy Spirit? I didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. I, thought, I, I know about God the Father. I know about Jesus. But and I thought the Holy Spirit was just the guy who sat on my left and right shoulder, right? Like, because I was Catholic, name of the Father, Son, and then Holy Spirit. Like, I thought it was just the guy, like the parrots, right? Like, I had no idea. Like, I, I had no idea he was God. I just thought it was something we said. And this is what the, the Ephesians are saying, they're saying, no, we didn't even hear that there was a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked them, then what baptism did you receive? Well, John's baptism, they replied. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul placed his hands on them and prayed for them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. We see this also in Acts chapter 8. What, what the point I'm trying to say is that I, I don't want us to be people who are seeking a sign. Don't seek the sign. Don't seek tongues. Seek the baptizer. And then tongues will come. If, that, if there's any word of advice I could give anybody, because for the longest time I was seeking tongues. Oh, I want to speak in tongues. I want to speak in tongues. I want to speak in tongues. And it wasn't until I got to the place where I was like, I want to be baptized. I just, I just want him. I want more than I had yesterday. And I want more tomorrow the day than I had the day before. I just want more and more of him. That's when I received because I was seeking after the wrong thing. And our God is a great gift giver. He'll give us great gifts, but he'll give us what we can handle in that time. And at that time, I couldn't handle it because I was seeking the wrong things. I was seeking a sign. Let's seek the gift giver. He wants to empower you. He wants to empower you. So the question needs to ask, we know who the Holy Spirit is. We know he is God. We know he's our advocate. We know he's our comforter. We know that Jesus desires to baptize us with the Holy Spirit and that the, pers- the purpose is greater intimacy and power. We know that the sign that is given in Scripture is, is tongues. We know that, that it is a gift to be desired and received. But the question needs to be asked, are the spiritual gifts and is the baptism of the Holy Spirit, is that for today? It's in my theological understanding and personal conviction, conviction and personal experience that they absolutely are. Now, I love the body of Christ. I love that we are one church, the capital C church. I love my Baptist friends and my Calvinist friends who we agree on so much and we have enriching conversations. But here is one area that, that we have distinctives where I say that the Holy Spirit and the gifts are still for today and they say that they stopped. Now the only difference when, to the conclusion is that I think their theology is false and they think I'm crazy. Because <laughs> this isn't just a theological position. It's a personal experience. It'd be one thing if I just held some theology and we disagreed on theology, but this is orthopraxy. This is my, my personal practice. 
I've personally experienced the difference of I wasn't baptized in the Holy Spirit, and now I am. I've experienced the power that came with that. It's not just an increase of charisma. I wasn't just more charismatic. I didn't just like learn to tap dance and entertain people. I, I, I received power from on high. I know who I was then and who I am now. And, and I'm not saying I'm a better person than somebody else because I have it and you don't. That's not the way this works. The baptism in the Holy Spirit made me better than me. It made me more powerful than me. And today, the Holy Spirit is not here to condemn you and say, why aren't you as good as your sister? Like, it's not your mom, right? Like, like they're, they're literally trying to say, the Holy Spirit is, is literally trying to say, God is trying to say, I want to use you and empower you to do the things that I've called you to do. You can't do it on your own. We have an impossible mission, but we serve a God who makes all things possible. And how does he do that? How does he empower us for mission? Is it a better written tract? Is it a nonprofit that has incredible finances? Is it, is it better administrative skills? Is it that MBA that you've, you've been seeking after? Those things are good, but in and of themselves, they will leave you and render you powerless. It is the power of the Holy Spirit. And we need that. So just really quick, cessationism and continuationism. I know those are mouthfuls, but those are the theological positions. Cessationists is a word, the root word there is cease. They believe that the gifts of the Holy Spirit stopped. Now, when they stop, there's a little variance there. Some say it's it's when the apostles died off. Others say it's when the the scriptures were completed. That's a cessationist, and I have many friends who are cessationists, and I love them, and they love Jesus, and we will be together in heaven, except I'll be speaking in tongues, and they won't be. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm kidding. There's going to be no need for tongues in heaven. Mm, Thank you, Jesus. But cessationists, and I'm a continuist. This church leans into a continuous theology. We believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We believe in the gifts of, of the Spirit. We believe that's for today. It's for all people. It's for now. A continuous specifically says that all the spiritual gifts continue today and are available to the believers of Jesus, that he doesn't discriminate according to race, gender, uh, um, color, or whatever, whatever things that humans can divide over. The only requirement is to be a believer. Why do I believe this? Because this view is supported by Jesus throughout Scripture. In Mark 16, when he gives us the Great Commission, in Mark, he says this, he said to them, Now go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. In my name, they will speak in new tongues. In my name, they will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere. And the Lord worked with them. Because the Lord sent the Lord, this, the Holy Spirit, the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. Signs are to be accompanied by the proclamation of the gospel. It's for all believers, friends. There is nowhere in Scripture that even hints that these gifts stopped. Because the word, because we finally were able to put, uh, compile this. I'm not, I'm not diminishing the word. Every gift of the Holy Spirit submits itself to the authority of Scripture. 
We are not the type of spirit-filled believers that say, uh, I have a new revelation. Listen, you could have a new revelation as long as it comes out, comes out of Scripture. We submit ourselves to the authority of Scripture. My cessationist friends, that's one of the things they can't get over. They say, uh, why would God ever usurp his word? And I say, he doesn't. Everything submits itself to this, the perfect, inerrant, authoritative word of God. But it's for today. It's for now. And if you would submit to it, it's for you. It's for you. The Bible records them as being available for everyone, not just the apostles. 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11, I end with this. Peter is concluding his letter to his, to his Roman friends, and he says this, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, literally above all things, he says, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer his hospitality to one another without grumbling. In verse 10, each of you should use whatever gift you have received. He's talking about spiritual gift here. Whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. He doesn't say some of you who have received the gift. He says each of you. Each of you. All of us. We are all candidates. So here's what I want us to do. Friends, our work is not done. There are so many people in this city who need Jesus. There's over 350,000 people in this area, this county, Sedgwick County alone. And we have a task, a heavenly responsibility, which is to reach them with the gospel of Jesus. It doesn't happen through gimmicks. It doesn't happen through building campaigns. It happens when we preach. And the Lord's desire for each and every one of us is to preach under the authority and the power of his Holy Spirit. So I would submit to you this morning that if, if we haven't accomplished our mission, why would our good Father take away his gifts? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is he didn't, he wouldn't, and he hasn't. Can we stand in this place and just submit ourselves to what has happened? I believe, I'm believing in this room that the Holy Spirit is going to do some powerful things, not scary things, not weird things. But we're just going to open ourselves to his lordship and submit ourselves to him. And I just want to have a moment where we're going to worship, we're going to sing, but I want us to prepare our hearts and just begin. I believe the Holy Spirit has been moving since we've been, since we've been talking. I believe the Holy Spirit wants to baptize us anew or for the first time 
Now, I don't want you to think that the baptism in the Holy Spirit is a one-time encounter where you're like, yeah, when I was 11, I spoke in tongues and then I haven't done that since. Um, the Holy Spirit desires to keep filling us with this presence. You ever, you ever walk or run with a, 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 a glass full of water? Or maybe like my son, August, and, or my, my kids really, they have a full bowl of cereal and they're trying to walk from their table to another, another location and they're just running and it's spilling all over the place. That is kind of how we are when it comes to the Holy Spirit's presence and power in our life. We'll have a, the fullness of him and then we see the baptism and it's there and we're running and we're, we're spilling a little bit over here and there and throughout time we look and we're like, what happened to all my cereal? It happens. I spilled. I leaked. I'm a leaky vessel. So I need more of his, I need, I need, his, I need to be continuously filled with his Holy Spirit. But I believe this morning the Holy Spirit is going to fill us some for the first time and some again and maybe you're just like listen I didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit well you look you see what happened to the Ephesians neither did they and they received what is the only requirement you need to be a believer and you need to be asking for the gift not for your glory not for you to become more influential not for more affluence but to accomplish the mission he's called you to accomplish, which is to go and make disciples of all nations. It's not just a calling for some. It's a calling for us all. Ephesians 4.12 says this, and God gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And their job is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. It's our ministry. We do this together. God has called you to be a preacher of the gospel. It may not be behind a pulpit, but it's in your daily life. And I don't know about you, but I need the power to do any job he's called me to do. So can we just lift up our hands this morning as a sign of, of just us asking? And friends, can you just, from where you're at, you don't have to scream, you don't have to shout, but from where you're at, could you just begin to, to just come in and, and ask the Lord to, to give you more than what you have? God, what I have is not enough. Lord, you've given me everything, and everything you've given me has been good, but, but Father, what I currently possess is not enough for the mission you've called me to. Father, because I know the mission is not dictated by what I've, I've seen or where I've been. It's dictated by where you want us to go, and your desire is that no one should perish, that no one should walk this earth without knowing Jesus. And Father, that is a lofty task. That is a, a big order to ask. But we serve a God who is bigger, a God who desires to empower. Lord, this isn't emotional manipulation. This is us going to the source and saying, we need more of you, of your strength, of your boldness. We too want to be like the apostles who were once afraid of their surrounding, who after one encounter with your Holy Spirit walked boldly, not arrogantly, not brashly, but boldly in humility. So I'm going to ask Bethany to just sing. And I'm gonna, if, if you want to sing, go ahead and sing. But I feel that today... The Holy Spirit wants to baptize us. 
And it, I, I promise you, it's, it's not going to happen unless you open your mouth. And if you're someone who maybe you're just a quieter person, listen, I know people who are quiet. Go, go look up Beth Grant, a phenomenal missionary to human, like to, to places of human trafficking. One of the most quiet, soft-spoken people I have ever had the encounter of meeting. In fact, she preaches like this. But boy, is that girl spirit-filled. So don't think that it's only the candidates who are charismatic and loud that, and boisterous that can receive. No, 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 no. But you have to open your mouth. So can we, we're just going to go ahead and worship for a few moments. We're going to sing and then we're going to, while we're singing, go ahead and worship the Lord. And if you have to spread out and if you want to come forward, you can do that. But I just want us to seek everything the Holy Spirit has for us. Let's go ahead and do that this morning. I just feel that some of us in this place, you know God is calling you to do something. You know God has placed you where you're at. And you see the platform he's given you, the position he's placed you in. And you have been actively praying for greater influence for Jesus. If that's you, I'm just going to simply ask that you just lift up your hand in this place. If you've recognized that God has placed you in a position and you want just greater influence for him, would you just go ahead and lift up your hand? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. All, hands all around this place. Now, I'm going to ask us as brothers and sisters, if your hands are up, and you feel like you know God is calling you to do something, you know that he's placed you where you're at, and, and you just want to be more successful for his glory. You want to be a better version of not somebody else, but a better version of yourself, a more empowered version of yourself. I'm going to just ask with all humility, all love, no pressure, I'm going to ask you to, to join me up front if you do me the honor of that. Not, not because I believe that there's anything special here that he can't fill you where you're at, but because I believe when we step out in faith, that is us being able to partner together, that we are demonstrably saying, God, I just want more of you. And I'm going to ask if, you, if we would just line up the front here. Line up the hand. Everyone's coming down. Come on. Come on. We need more influence. We need more of what you have, Jesus. And if any pastors or elders in this place, if you could just start, just, if, if, just start praying for, for anybody. If you need more influence, if you would just lift up your hands and just begin declaring out and crying out for more of what he has to give us. He is faithful. He is good. He loves us. He cares for us. No one goes without. He gives us everything we need. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we need all that you have. Holy Spirit, would you fill us with your presence? Would you fill us with your spirit? Would you baptize us? Lord, this isn't just a theological position that we hold to. This is our everlasting reality. We need you, Holy Spirit. Would you fill us with your presence? We need you, Jesus. Baptize us to be your people, to do the work you've called us to do. You have transformed millions and millions and millions. May you do it again. May you continue to do it. We want a fresh outpouring of your spirit. We don't want to live in the memories of the past. We don't want to be the type of Christians that say those were the good old days. We want to be the Christians who see that greater things are ahead. 
that the works that Jesus accomplished, that, that if he said greater things will we do, we want to do those things. So Holy Spirit, we pray for your strength. We pray for your power. We need you. Father, you are not a discriminator. You don't look at us and say, you're not qualified. You look at us and say, I will qualify you. So we submit ourselves. We go to the source. We gather in this place united, needing more of you, all of us. No matter what credentials we have or don't have, no matter what's in our account, no matter what education we have or don't have, Lord, we need you. You equip those who are called. You don't call the equipped. So we say we need your strength. Equip us with the greatest equipment from heaven, and that is your Holy Spirit. We need you, Lord. We need you, Holy Spirit. Oh, we need you, God. We need you. Let's keep pursuing him. Don't stop. Don't stop. Keep pressing in. It keep pressing in. It says in the word that on the 40th day, the Holy Spirit fell. Don't give up. Let's just take these moments and make them sacred. We have more than enough time. Let's pursue. Let's press in. And if you're praying, I'm just going to encourage you right now, friend. Let me coach you for a second. If you're praying for the baptism, I encourage you to begin speaking out. Speaking out to where you don't have to scream, but at least to where you hear yourself. And I guarantee you that as you're praying, you're going to experience the Holy Spirit begin to speak to you a, a, a language that you have never spoken before, some syllables that you have never put together before. It's just going to feel like it's, it's, it's working its way up into your heart, like you're just overflowing, and, and there's going to be a, ten, a tendency to talk yourself out of that. I've been there. But he doesn't control. He enables Living waters, Jesus, living waters, Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. Go out and just begin to speak out, begin to pray. Tell them what you need. Holy Spirit, you know where we're at. You know the things that we are good at, the things that we struggle with. You know the weaknesses we hold. We need all that you have. We need you, Lord. Jesus, we need you. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Come on, keep pressing in. Don't stop now. Don't stop. It doesn't matter who's on the left or who's on the right. It matters who is here with us, and it's his spirit. His spirit is among us. We need his strength. In fact, everybody on the left and on your right, they love you. They care about you. We all want to experience all that he has for us. Oh, Jesus, transform us, God. Holy Spirit, we need you. We need you. We long for your presence. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus. We need you, Jesus. Come on, just tell him I need you, Lord. Holy Spirit, I know you're not an it. You're not a force. You're not an energy. You are God. 
And I am a candidate, the perfect candidate to receive your gift of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I just feel in my heart that there's some of us in this place who are, maybe you, you, you lean more on the rationalization side of things. And you're not fully convinced and you're just struggling. I've, I've been there. But can, can, I just, can I just lay some fact? Pentecost, as we understand it in America, started in the 1900s in Topeka, Kansas, from the ministry of a man by the name of Charles Parham. And in that room was a, a son of a slave, an African man by the name of William Seymour, who took the teaching that he saw pour out in Topeka, Kansas. This is the heartbeat of modern-day Pentecost that we understand here in Kansas. And from Kansas, it has transformed the world. They, they took what happened in Kansas and they took it to Los Angeles. You know how we have a tendency in this nation now where, where what's happening on the coast trickles its way into the Midwest? Well, the Lord flipped that when it came to the pouring of his Holy Spirit and he started that in Kansas and it made its way to the coast. And from there, it says that people were gathered from every color. Like this was a time where they didn't, they didn't co-mingle. There was no co-mingling. If you were one color, you, you went with church with, to, with one color and that color and that race and that. But they were all gathered in one place and the spirit fell. In fact, you can even look up reports on the news in the Los Angeles Guardian that they say that there is just a phenomenon that is happening in Los Angeles. The day that happened, there was a great earthquake in California that ensued. You can look all this up. I'm not making any of it up. There was a huge earthquake and that was the shaking of the Holy Spirit. That was God physically saying this is what is happening. And from that place, you know what has happened in the last 100 years? Pentecost, over 300 million, and that's a conservative estimate, 300 million believers around the world. In fact, Pentecost is the fastest growing move, wave in Christianity in all of church history. Don't tell me this is fake. This is real. The Holy Spirit wants to use you. Theology books are great. You can borrow one. I got thousands of them on my shelf. But none of that compares to the power of the Holy Spirit. He is real. He wants to use you. He wants to empower you. He wants to fill you with himself to be the person he's called you to be. So let's just press in. Let's not give up. It doesn't start here and stop here. It goes where we go. So can we commit in this place? Commit ourselves this week. Listen, we're not done. We're going we're gonna to end our service here in a second as soon as we're done worshiping, but, but we're not done with this teaching. For the, at least the next eight weeks to come, we are going to get deep into the Word of God. But I am challenging you. This is my personal challenge as your pastor and friend. My challenge to you is this. Will you, on your own time, actively seek and ask for all that the Holy Spirit has.
by a show of hand, who's, who's making that commitment? I'm going to, this week, I'm going to ask, I'm going to seek, I'm going to get on my knees, I'm going to pray, I'm going to worship, I'm going to spend time in his presence. I want more, I want more. Father, thank you so much for every single one of us. Thank you for every person in this place. We know you're not done with us. Father, we know that you desire so much more. We want to be that church that is used in ways like never before. It's not our personalities. It's not our combined strengths. It's our recognition, our recognizing that we need your spirit. We need your strength, oh God. So we ask that you would give it to us. Fill us up. Empower us. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said... Amen. Let's worship him before we dismiss. Let's go ahead and pray. And that wraps up today's message, but we've got more on the way. So be sure to subscribe so you won't miss a future podcast. You belong here. So we encourage you to get connected. You can find us on social media or online at mwcwichita.com. That's mwcwichita.com. Thanks again for listening. I'll see you next week.